It's September 6, 2017. Welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First up, we're going to hear from Rodney Boucher from the EVA Emergency Preparedness Committee about the Get Ready EVA Beach Preparedness Fair. And then we'll explore virtual reality gaming with Opapo Fonoy Moana and hear how he came to open VR Junkies over at Ala Moana Center. But again, first off, we want to welcome Rodney Boucher from the EVA Emergency Preparedness Committee to talk about the Get Ready EVA Beach Emergency Preparedness Fair. <laughs> welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Mahalo. I appreciate you having me on board. I'd like to talk about the fair itself, which is this Saturday. Uh, it's going to be at EVA Mackay Middle School on Kapolei Parkway in EVA. That doesn't mean it's only available for EVA. It's mm-hmm. all available for island-wide, statewide, if you want to come across the island to uh, visit it. We're going to have a lot of free gifts in reference to preparedness. And it's certainly a timely period. We're all across all the headlines. It's talking about hurricanes. And although it's been so far so good for Hawaii, that's never guaranteed. Right. We're only halfway through the season, the hurricane season. And unfortunately, there's too many aspects of Harvey and Irma that we are very well associated with from the past years that we have had tropical storms that could have hit us harder into hurricane situations. The main goal of one of one of the main goals of the fair itself is to have people to give a chance to talk to preparedness experts mm-hmm. uh, from the government, from Hawaii Emergency Management, from Department of Emergency Management, from city and county, from a whole plethora of different gr- groups, including nonprofits, that will help you prepare with with lists of preparedness. 14 days is now the request that people think about being prepared for. Uh, because That's like double what it used to be. It's double what it used to be, but it's more practical and reality-based about we live on an island, the most isolated islands in the, in the world. It's going to take time for anything to get to us. Uh, depending on how what our state is in reference to airports and ports mm-hmm. itself. Now, Rodney, we had you come on, I think, last year. Yes. And this is kind of an annual event, putting on the preparedness fair in EVA. Uh, has it changed? What are you What are you featuring this year? Uh, no generators this year, but we do have around four to five thousand dollars worth of preparedness items that we're giving away free, thanks mm-hmm. to our very generous donors and, and grants, uh, foundations-wise. I brought you a bunch of swag. That's I have being, to say, it, it's being shown showcased in the in here right now. But uh, oh, a, wow, that's pretty cool! It's, it's a sounding flashlight. It's a flashlight it's, it sounds great. <laughs> the basic things that people need to think about are exactly the same things that has happened for seven years: food, water. Preparedness items for you, your family, for your pets, and your neighbors as as possible. Now, now, uh, Rodney, this is probably your signature event. I mean, what do you do between these sort of major preparedness fairs? I mean, is it uh, something that you're continuing to reach out and, and do the outreach you know, in the in the periods between you know the two fairs, yes. yeah, we most of us are either Red Cross volunteers or mm-hmm. CERT, which is Community Emergency Response Team mm-hmm. volunteers. Both both organizations are based on free training for both of them, and the, it allows you to get training to be prepared for yourself and your family. For like the Red Cross uh, shelter, how to work in a shelter to help your family and your community. CERT training is, again, you help your yourself, your family first to get through the disaster, and then you help your neighbors as well. Mm-hmm. Now, Those we've things talked are about, available. Yeah, we've talked about CERT before, but it bears mentioning it is training that's available for you to be a resource in your community, in your neighborhood, on your block, in fact. Yes. Um, and it's fairly intensive in the sense that there are several uh, weekend, I think, training sessions 
sessions, and then finally a very intensive but certainly memorable and worth the whole experience um, training up at Diamond Head. Yes, there is a practical exercise where we put all the skills that you've learned over the the 16 to 20 hours of training, 16 hours of uh, classroom training, Mm -hmm. and then we do four to five, six hours of practical exercise. And it gives you the reality base of what will happen. Unfortunately, we have too many examples of Harvey Irma this year in reference to people being survived or uh, being saved mm-hmm. by community members, mm-hmm. many of them untrained, but CERT training gives you some training, allows you to be better prepared to handle situations and to work with your organizations, HFD, HPD, Department of Emergency Management, uh, the National Guard, all are inter the infrastructure is based so that we help each other. And it's very memorable in the sense that even though you know it's an exercise, even though these are many oftentimes friends you go with, um, when you're going into that smoke-filled bunker and you're feeling along the walls and people are pretending to be injured and crying for help, it can get very intense very quickly. So these are some of the things that you'll be sharing information on at this event. Yes. Actually, we have three different CERT community groups that are coming out to help us, uh, Manoa, uh, Kailua and Waianae, all three CERT groups are coming out to help us at our fair, just as we did with Waianae's fair uh, uh, two Saturdays, uh, Saturday, last Saturday, I should say. Now, Rodney, your fair is put on by the, the basically the community of EVA. Yes. And EVA has come together to support this whole, uh, you know, disaster preparedness. There are other communities like Manoa that does this, like you said, Waianae. What is it that brought you folks together in EVA to create this community effort? In 2011, there was the Tohoku tsunami earthquake. Prior to that, there was a wind shear event that knocked out power to EVA Mm -hmm. for 24, 48, some cases 72 hours. That was the emphasis to start building on, and then we had the earthquake tsunami event uh, for Tohoku. That built up, and that was our first event in 2011. And uh, uh, at that time, Representative Kimberly Pine and some of the other legislators, were, they got behind us. We got the mm-hmm. neighborhood board. Uh, the EVA neighborhood board got behind us, and we all, they supported us in building on it. Oh, great. And now we're seven years into it. Very good. That was certainly impacted. I think if I remember, it was also an attempt at evacuation, and there was a lot of traffic issues. So right. certainly for the community to be able to shelter in place and be prepared in that way probably is one way to mitigate that. Yeah, I was I was a Red Cross uh, volunteer. I was asked to uh, set up and stage the shelter, uh, the parking lot, if you will, for this tsunami. Then I got asked to go further out, and I couldn't make it, so I got stuck at Koalina with the police officers, mm. and it was during Halloween. Uh, Halloween parties. So I helped at that stage uh, keep some people uh, that might have been a little bit more inebriated, but they got <laughs> they got a bunch of snacks from me uh, because I had all the stuff I was going to give away, and that's part of the nice. Red, that's part of what Red Cross does is volunteers and work together to help all the communities. Well, you folks are doing a, <clears throat> a really great job because you know when an emergency like this occurs you can't expect the you know the uh, government to be there when you potentially need them so it's community groups like yours that are going to really help people prepare themselves for right. these kinds of disasters so I think this emergency fair is, is uh, excellent. Oh, and what do you got there, Mr. Ryan? Well, this is Bert Lum's favorite piece of preparedness. It's a giant five-gallon bucket, but it has a lid and what looks like a toilet seat on top. You know, I fell in love with this uh, ever since uh, John Cummings kind of turned me on to what I call, well, uh, it's the go bucket. The go bucket, because you, you can go. Because you go. Yeah, and I've always wanted it. And 
Ronnie brought one for us in this uh, in this uh, nice meeting here. Now, Ronnie, so tell us where can people go? <laughs> Not go bucket, but where can people go to find out more about the Eva Preparedness Fair? The EvaEPC.com is the website. Uh, if you Google Get Ready Eva Beach, that'll pop up on the Google and, and social media aspects of it, the applications for it. Also for Honolulu.gov, D-E-M, mm-hmm. the, the website there has a Department of Emergency Management. Fantastic. And <clears throat> when again is this? This is going to be this Saturday, September 9th, uh, and it's the seventh annual. And it's going to be at Kapolei, the Eva Mackay Middle School on Kapolei Parkway in Eva. Very easy to get to. We have air conditioning. Oh, that's a oh, big selling that's point. That's a big plus. And All giveaways. Right. And things to get. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes. And if it's anything, any indication from what you just brought us today, it's really worthwhile. Absolutely. So yeah. thanks, Ronnie, Thank for you. joining us. And we'll take a short break. And Mahalo. when we return, we'll be joined by Opapo Fonoi Moana. And he's going to be talking about VR gaming. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Urgent Care Hawaii. Kanikapila Sunday is my favorite program because it allows you to discover so much Hawaiian music. There's such great Hawaiian music coming out, and to be able to find out about the artists, listen to the songs, listen to a variety of music, is one of the most satisfying ways to spend a Sunday afternoon. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now joining us is Opapo Fonoma Manoa. Close. I'm sorry. Oh, Fonoi Moana. Excellent. Not Moana. <laughs> it's a beautiful name, I must say. Thank you. Opapo was uh, just uh, recently launched the Hawaii franchise of VR junkies over at Alamoana Center. What's the market for VR gaming cafes, and what technologies are now available to to recreationally use virtual reality? Well, Papa, welcome to By Marks Cafe. Thank you, thank you guys so much for having me. This is this has been an awesome experience so far, and I'm really excited to. Well, get into you know, this. in spite of my torturing your name, I mean, <laughs> I, I do want to. We do have a historical interest in VR, and we've mm-hmm. sort of covered you know the topic over the years. From, you know, the different kinds of headsets and the different kinds of content, we wanted to sort of start off by kind of getting an understanding of, you know, what has the technology come to so that you can now sort of deploy it easily in a, in a sort of a storefront. And so where do you see sort of this VR technology going? Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, if you remember back in the day, you know, you have the goggles mm-hmm. and you have these uh, little goggles that hooked up to a computer. And then um, as the technology progressed, right, they, they put, it, you know, phones into the goggles so that it's more portable or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and you, you can get a pretty good experience just in those, you know, by putting your phone into, you know, um, a, a goggle setup that is used for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get the best experience, you're going to have to have some power behind that. Um, and so it's... It's kind of come full circle. You know, we have uh, we run our goggles through computers, and we we run the HTC Vive, and it's it's the strongest one. It has the best tracking platform, 
Um, and, and when you say tracking, uh, tracking in terms of the you know, the, the, the latency between the actual program and what's being viewed on the headset? Uh, tracking in terms of um, following the movements that you're making with your body. Mm-hmm. And so um, you have, in, especially in the gaming rigs, um, you have Oculus, and then you have uh, um, the Samsung uh, VR setup. Mm-hmm. And then some of the consoles are, you know, they have PlayStation. PlayStation. Yeah, PlayStation VR and stuff. And so um, with those, you have the headset, and then you have one or two controllers with each of one of those. And then depending on how the controllers are set up, it, that's how it tracks your movement, right? And so with this one, we have two controllers, but then we also have two uh, tracking boxes. They're called light boxes that we, that we have set up in the room. And so between the two controllers, the headset, and the tracking boxes, you have five points that you can track from. Mm-hmm. And so, so the more points, the more accurate. Right. Now, I, I find it fascinating that even when we were talking about virtual reality in the 90s or the 80s right. even, it was still a giant set of right. goggles on your head connecting yeah. to a computer. It's just that the horsepower behind it has gotten so much mm-hmm. more advanced. Um, what kind of, when you say you've got it plugged into a computer, is it like a high-end gaming rig? Uh, is, it, is it accessible yet to your, what I guess you would still say is like an average home PC? Right. And you... You can run you can run virtual reality stuff on an average home PC, but I mean it just depends on how well you want it to run. Um, you can get a virtual reality ready computer uh, for you know like nine hundred thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. You know that what you'll need is you'll need a, a strong processor and a video card that can handle all the video that's running. Uh, to and from, and then so, you can yeah, a lower power computer it would be probably just lower resolution, less right. clear, and yeah. yeah, and also slower response time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you don't have the processing power um, and the RAM, you know, you're going to have slower response times in your movements. But um, you can do. There's a lot of uh, people that are doing 360 videos now that doesn't take a lot of movement from you, and so those ones you can you can definitely view. Um, on a on a lower computer, on a you know more regular mm-hmm. basic computer. Now, <clears throat> did um, you have to do any sort of evaluation amongst the different you know headsets or systems that uh, could have potentially be deployed, or or was it pretty much a, a standardized across you know the the, the franchise? Um, yeah, for us, it's pretty standard, um, mainly because um, the HTC Vive is the only one that offers a commercial license to their games, so. The Oculus Rift is, is a very good platform, um, but all their games, uh, none of the none of the uh, developers offer a commercial license for the games, and so they're like a movie. You know, when you buy a game, it's made for private in-home use. I see. Right, right, right. So when you say commercial, it's something that you could actually right. share with others exactly. in a business environment yeah. as yeah. opposed to just use it for your personal use. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so, um, you know, the Oculus is a very strong platform and they have a lot of great games. But because they don't offer the commercial licenses, mm-hmm. we can't use it. Mm-hmm. Now, you talked about tracking and uh, Bert and I got to visit your store at Moana and it does require sort of an awareness of the three-dimensional space in which people move. And mm-hmm. I think I've seen the Oculus set up which kind of has like these radar-looking boxes in the corners of the room. What's the setup like for the HTC Vive? So the setup is very similar. I mean, uh, you have have the light boxes. um, uh, You have the light boxes deployed on the walls or on the ceiling. Um, And the difference between the Oculus light boxes and ours um, is the Oculus, you have to plug the light boxes directly into the computer. And ours... 
they just need to be plugged into a power source and then they read off of each other. Mm-hmm. And so you they set the space right uh, depending on where you put them, and then um, they just track they track the motions of your um, of your controllers yeah. and your headset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then one of the things that I, I noticed, and you explained this really well, was the, was the fact that when you have the headset on, you're actually still tethered. Mm-hmm. to the computing system. Yep. And you were telling me that that is really to help kind of the, the latency versus, mm-hmm. let's say, a wireless connection between your headset and, and the, uh, the computing system. Yep. So could you explain what happens when you have sort of, this, sort of this, this delta with the latency? Yeah, and so, I mean, there, there are companies that have been trying to develop a wireless, um, a, wireless a, a way that you can play um, without being physically connected to the computer and it just seems like everything that's come out you know the game skips it's you know the the reaction isn't as responsive Mm -hmm. and Um, that's when you kind of get that little nauseous feeling right right. if you don't have the precise uh uh, connection between the movement and what you see right exactly Mm -hmm. exactly and so um the technology is still you know relatively newer um, and developing. There's lots of people that are trying to trying to um, get the tech so that it can do really, really cool stuff. It's just going to take a little bit of time. Now, I'm certainly among those people who, when I've used these headsets, I get dizzy. And mm-hmm. I can see how you're saying if you have higher uh, resolution, lower latency, and it's more natural with the movement of your head, yeah. then maybe it feels better. But when you're talking about a three-dimensional space and people moving around, I'm also concerned, like, how do you keep people from hurting themselves or tripping over <laughs> things or, or hitting each other. Right. And that's definitely an issue. I know um, for our setups, we we have mapped out each space, um, and that's with the system. And so if you move too far to the right or left, forward or back, uh, there'll be an indicator, an on-screen indicator. Usually it's a blue grid. Mm. And, th- and that just tells you when you see the blue grid, just reposition till you don't see it. And actually the tether attached to your headset hanging from the ceiling probably right. also helps constrain your movement so you don't go running out of the store <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you 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 take too many steps forward and that thing will just come right off mm-hmm. and then we also have a, a physical indicator which is a just a rubber mat on the floor and it's a, basically the same size as what we measured out and so if you step off of the rubber mat then it's time to you know readjust mm-hmm. and then also we have staff there to help out and just to kind of warn people, hey, too close to the wall, you know. So, you know, you, um, Opapo, you mentioned that the commercial license is available from titles that are on HTC. Mm -hmm. And so HTC not only makes the hardware, but they also create the software for a lot of these VR titles. Is that true? So what happens is HTC is partnered with um, a company called Steam. And Steam is the one that launches the games online. Okay. And so... Uh, because they have that partnership with Steam, and Steam can get the commercial license from the developers, that's how the Vive is able to have commercial licenses available for that, um, as opposed to um, Oculus. So, so the the marketplace is pretty much separated from, uh, let's say, the commercial licensing capability with HCC, and then you got everybody else that does private. Right. So the opportunity really kind of exists just with the HTC. There. Yeah, until the Oculus um until the Oculus can work out a deal and get the commercial licenses. Yeah, that's that's what we're dealing with. And there's pros and cons to that. Uh, one of the cons definitely is uh we don't have as many titles that mm-hmm. we can offer. Mm-hmm. 
and as many as many experiences. Well, I definitely want to talk now and more about the business of running a VR gaming retail storefront, but we're going to take a short break and we'll come back to continue our conversation with uh, Opapo. Well, you know, Moana. I tell you, the the break is to share with everybody that Opapo has his store that just recently launched at Almoana. And of course, <laughs> Opapo... Your store what opened? You had a what a, a grand opening? Uh, just a yeah, we had a couple soft opening. Yeah, about two and a half weeks ago, um, and it was it was good. I mean, we we're we're still working on our marketing, and so essentially that first day we were just trying to get as many bodies into mm-hmm. the stores as, now, as possible. Tell us a little bit about the, the 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 story behind how you decided to kind of pick up this franchise because. When we heard about VR junkies, I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But it's also part of a, a, a sort of a nationwide chain, right? So tell us what, what, what did you explore and discover that ultimately ended up, you know, with this Alamoana store? Um, yeah, so I've always been a gamer. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of these guys who can freely admit that I've wasted way too many hours, hours. <laughs> <laughs> in front of a TV with a controller in my hand, right? I understand this about myself. And I understood it back when I was gaming heavily, and so when I decided to, you know, become, a, you know, a, a member of society, a contributing member of society, <laughs> uh, I, I decided to not have another gaming console, mm-hmm. right? Cold I turkey, said, right? Cold turkey. I said, okay, no more, no more games on a computer, no more PlayStation, Xbox. I'm done. You know, I have to make something of myself. And so, and then I've always had an interest in business. And so, um, earlier this year, my brother and I were on a business trip, and we were in Utah, which is where the first VR junkies opened up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we saw, we went in um, to see the setup, and I, I thought this was immediately. I was like, this needs to come to Hawaii. Mm. Like, usually, you know, with stuff like this, Hawaii is like you know two, three, five years late to the show. But I was like, we have an excellent opportunity where we're positioned in the middle of the Pacific Ocean where half of the visitors, you know, come from China and Japan mm-hmm. and their VR is really big. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so and so we decided to, you know, to try and go for it. We ran into these uh, commercial licensing things and we knew it was going to be an issue. And so we reached out to VR Junkies and because they franchised, we said, okay, they're already taking care of that. So there are definitely advantages to being affiliated with a larger organization right. that kind of lays the groundwork, builds exactly. the template. But it's a big step to take from someone who really likes games, especially right. one who was briefly off the wagon, right. uh, to go into business doing it. And frankly, setting up a shop in a retail uh, establishment is not cheap. Um, right. I had well, like Alamoana, right? right. I mean, that's a pretty major mm-hmm. shopping center. Yeah, there was an operation briefly in Kaimaki called uh, Lost Inside. They did the sec- effectively the same thing, but it was it was it was hard to sustain that. Yeah. So, how do you what is your business plan and do you see people willing to pay? I like that you mentioned the international market. Is that right. where the money's at? Well, I mean, we see several different ways um, that that we can use this. Primarily, the other VR junkies locations are are gaming locations, and so they're they're just like PC gamers, or you know, where you go in, it's an internet cafe, uh, but specifically for gamers. Mm-hmm. Um, we feel like there's more, there's more that that can be done. There's a lot of content out there, and there's a lot of applications that they're using virtual reality for outside of gaming. 
a lot of educational things where, you know, people can put on the goggles and look at a brain and Mm -hmm. dissect it, pick it apart, and they can really get to see what's inside there. Or a human body, you know, it's virtual, um, you know, but it's... You can manipulate it. Yeah, exactly. Do you envision kind of branching into an educational uh, business model? Yeah, I mean, we're right now, I feel like we... um, because the technology, there's there's so many people that are still developing stuff for it. I feel like there's nothing that I don't want to say, you know, that mm-hmm. we're not going to do. Like mm-hmm. because if if there is a way that we can we can do education, like maybe we can do like STEM courses or something, you know, in the summer for the kids, you know, they can come and try out. You know, they can look at skeletons and you know whatever. You know, I'm I'm not opposed to doing any of those things. Well, that would be great actually because. There was a time at Al Moana where you could feel like it was a family place to go, and you could have you know actually have right. fun doing things you know at the let's say I don't know Pete's Model Craft or whatever. That's like a very oh, wow. long time ago. Right. Classic. <laughs> so if you were to you know actually have the capability of mm-hmm. having classrooms and and an educational environment at VR Junkies, that would be kind of a fun thing. Yeah, and I mean this technology, you know, bringing it here to our kids here in Hawaii. You know, this is the main thing that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so the kids get to see it and they say, oh, this is cool. And when they grow up, you know, they're not like 10 years late to the show. Yeah, I got to tell you, my youngest son is chomping at the bit to come and visit because right now his jollies is going to the Microsoft <laughs> store and playing with the one thing right. that they sometimes have set up there. Yeah. And I have to say in terms of build out, the one thing that you don't want in a VR space is a lot of furniture, walls, and fixtures. So mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of build-out, I imagine, to create the space in which you set up your store. Yeah, no, we we didn't want to 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 put a lot of obstacles in there or a <laughs> lot of opportunity for people to break controllers. And I mean, some of these games, like uh, we have Fruit Ninja. Well, right? that gets pretty exactly. dynamic and moving. And so these people are swinging hard. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, I mean, there's a couple times where I'm setting up the game and they're already swinging and I have to dodge like I'm a real ninja. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you you uh, you gave me the uh, um, luxury of playing a Plank, yes. <laughs> which is which is more of a exploratory game, yeah. which is fun. It's great. And, yeah. and you're right. It, you, you don't need a lot of things in your store. You just need to put the goggles on and experience the virtual reality that you're now into. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and that's one of the, the coolest things about virtual reality because you're in a store in Ala Moana, right? And there's floor space all around you. And you know where you're at. But you put the goggles on and it, it takes you to somewhere totally different totally different and totally new. Now, you're already getting some regulars, I, I, I imagine, and, and some of them are, I mean, can you sort of share, are they like local, are they tourists? I mean, what would be the, the, the breakdown of your clientele? Yeah, so actually, I mean, with the regulars, it's been very interesting because it's been about half and half, uh, tourists to locals, mm. and we get the locals that come back and they like to play the game, but the thing that's interesting about the tourists is if we can catch them early in their visit, then they'll come back every day, every mm-hmm, day until they mm-hmm. leave. And we've had a couple families that did that, a family from California and Australia, and they came back every day until they left. And All right. Yeah. Are you planning a hard launch? When's your hard launch? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do uh, our grand opening, um, probably at the end of September. Okay. Uh, there's construction out in front of our spot, right, and right. so we want to wait for that to kind of. So, how would you describe grow. where your spot is? Uh, so what I tell everybody is we are on the Macy's end of the of the mall, uh, on the beach side, first first level, 
in between Champ Sports and Lady Foot Locker. Very right. good. Any URL you want to share? Uh, VRJunkies.com, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VRJunkiesHawaii. Very good. Opapo Fanoi Moana. Excellent. Is an owner of VR Junkies at Alamoana Center. We want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week. We're going to talk about Cyber Hawaii. And if you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us here or in the HPR app every Wednesday on HPR One. And of course, stay safe, and we will see you back here next week for another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. These days, remember, oh.